My name is Caden Walker, and I'm one of the, the worship interns here at Marion Methodist. Um, I'm going to start us off with the scripture for today, which comes from the book of Luke, chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar dried and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called for him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us, you and a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will also not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to him. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will surely repent. He said to them, If you do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone raises from the dead. Now will you please bow your heads in prayer with me. Dear Lord, I pray for Pastor Mike this morning as he prepares for his sermon. That the words he speaks will not be his own, but your words flowing through him. I pray that you will bless this sermon we are about to hear, that its message in the gospel will be soaked into our hearts. Protect him, guard his mind, and minister to his heart. And may your words become his. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. I do want to invite you, if you still want to take time at the rails or in praise in some other way, then uh, that God is leading you rather than listen to these words. That's, you know, the call of God in your heart, and we're not going to prevent that. But welcome to Marion Methodist. If you're joining us online or here in uh, person, we're so glad you're ha- here. I want to tell you two exciting pieces as we lean into the scripture. First, you saw with Kelsey's announcement, the uh, the fact that we're able to put our first piece on our generous give puzzle. And frankly, I want to tell you, we're pretty far down the road towards our second one. And this is really important. 
because what our goal is, is to bring the end of our loan from 2045 back to 2030. So we are really aggressively seeking to help the generation that's coming uh, in this uh, church to be able to uh, have a freedom that is relatively unfettered to do what they feel called to do in the future. So we're really excited about that. I'm totally excited about that. And secondly, I want to uh, <clears throat> tell you that currently right now, well, not at this moment, but in our relative not right now, your staff team at Marion Methodist is planning for uh, an e- uh, a Christmas celebration in December that while it has a lot of different pieces, not all of them will be the same as previous, uh, we're working hard to having the best Christmas uh, that we can possibly have and the best Advent season that we can possibly have, uh, some in fellowship together, some uh, in different kind of things. So be praying for us. Uh, we're excited about it. We're pretty far down the road, but we will be making announcements about that in the real coming future. Now, I don't know how many of you <clears throat> grabbed my little um, imitations to the sermon that I put out on, fr- on Facebook on Friday afternoon, but this Friday I was telling you about one of my friends who, who showed me an app anyway on his phone. <clears throat> it's called um, deathclock.com. Have any of you plugged into it? I hope you don't plug into it right now during the sermon, but Some of you at home are probably looking for it right now. So here's what deathclock.com does. There's an app for everything. When you plug in some vital information, not just your name, but your height, your weight, your birth date, your BMI, all this kind of stuff, what it does is it predicts, gives you everything that you've done, and then it starts a clock predicting the moment you're going to die. Y'all going to rush out and get it now? I mean, it's a thing. It's it's a thing. I don't know. You know, I don't believe in... uh, Ouija boards or, uh, you know, potions or concoctions or anything like that. But the question is, you know, some of us that came up through the 70s, there were movies about this when you could actually know the, the, the moment of your last. But the question is, do you want to know? Do, do you really want to know that? Is that information that you are pining to, to have? And if you could know it, what would you change? What would you do differently about your life? There is this simple truth that we can't miss. My clock is ticking, ticking, ticking. The clock of my life, the clock of your life, and none of them are ticking up. They're all ticking down. doesn't matter if you're 8 or 80. And so when we go into a sermon series like this, the time is now. What we need to understand is that the time we have on this earth is important and has some long-term implication. Jesus invests himself in the time of our lives, in the right now, because the time of your life has eternal implications. Now, I don't want to make this parable hard. It's pretty simple, pretty clear. You've got two guys, a rich man who had all the finest things of life, and a poor man, Lazarus, who literally had to be helped to the gate of of uh, uh, of the city, to beg. He had sores over his body, and and the scripture that Caden read would indicate that even the dogs took pity on him, but the rich man didn't. The rich man passed by him every single day. Apparently, this Lazarus, this poor fellow, really just became part of the white noise of the rich man's life. And so, because of that, and remember, this is Jesus telling the story, Jesus is telling the story that the rich man then, because of his life's activity, ends up in hell. 
where he's languishing among the flames, according to Scripture. However, the rich man can see to heaven. And there in heaven is Father Father Abraham, you know, the, the father of the whole Jewish people and all the tribes of it, is holding Lazarus, the poor man. And there's a huge gap between the two of them. So big, says Jesus, that one cannot get from one to the other. And so the rich man cries out to Father Abraham, let Lazarus stick his finger in the water and put it on my tongue because I'm baking up down here in the flames. This isn't Hollywood. This is the Bible. And Jesus says, well, you had your chance. Times of your life have eternal implications. Your time, the so much time you're given, whatever it is, on earth, and you get to choose how to use it. And it does have implications. See, when we talk about um, the time is now, this end time sermon series, we need to start and and, uh, drop right in here in the second week that each life, each human life has its own apocalypse. Every single one of us has an end time. Mortality is 100% effective against humanity. There's a 100% chance that what you see and what you know comes to an end for you specifically. We know the world will continue on after we walk off the earth. Likely it has for all those that we've known that have gone on before us. But each one of us has an apocalypse. Each one of us has an end time. And so in light of that, we have to push back and say, well, the time I have is right now. This is my time to use. So what will you do with what you've been given? Because what you do with what you have been given matters to God. What you do with what you have have been given matters to God. Richness is not bad in and of itself. Oftentimes, having a lot of earthly wealth has to be, it comes at the end of someone working really hard and being really effective at what they do. I went to a college that has building names after people that because of their benevolence, they gave them. We go to hospitals in our own city that have people's names on them that gave because of their benevolence. So richness in, its, in and of itself is not the problem here. The, rich, the problem with the rich man is not that he has great wealth, but, became, but because he became self-absorbed in it. He had the finer things of life. If you remember from last week, I told you there's a couple of colors of clothes that were really hard to get in the ancient Near East. White and purple. Last week, we talked about the people of Laodicea that were clothed in fine whites. Today, we're talking about a rich man that is not only clothed in fine purple, but he also has the finest of linens, which is code in scripture for white clothes. So this dude is stacked and packed. And he didn't see others as infinite uh, of creature, as creatures of infinite value and worth to God. What he saw in other people was obstacles or, or ways to get through. Or in reality, when we talk about how he saw Lazarus, he didn't see him at all because he only saw himself. In every circumstance, he only saw himself. And Jesus names this as the critical heir of the times of his life, that he only saw himself. So he is given 
an eternity that was implied by his life on earth. See, Scripture lacks no clarity in this matter. It lacks no clarity in advising us to use the times of our lives well. Colossians 3, 17 says this, And whatever you do, whether it be in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The rich man goes to hell and languishes there, and now he is afraid for his brothers, his five brothers, because of what he did not do. He's afraid of what he did not do. He looked at the world's suffering, and he does not a single thing about it. Not one thing. And Jesus' point, not my point, Jesus' point is the time of our life has eternal implications. We can use it all for the Lord, or we can use it all for ourselves. And we can manage the implications that those things those choices have. One of my friends used to say, Mike, we always need to have more to profess than confess. I love that. You know, we need to have more to profess than to confess. To profess means the time of your life will overflow in obvious ways that people know that your allegiance is to Christ. You will be seen as a disciple of Christ, and that is your profession of faith. Now, confession, on the other, on the other hand, is that you spend your life uh, brimming with shame and desire to undo the way you're living. So we need to have more to give to the glory of God than to be begging forgiveness for. George Gallup, who you know, has done a lot of polls, wrote, writes this. Never before in the history of the United States has the gospel of Jesus Christ made such inroads, which is Gallup's way of saying, you know, everybody's got the Bible on their phone. Everybody's got the Bible in their homes. Everyone has a church within a mile of their home. They don't have to walk to it. Everyone has the internet where you can watch every kind of sermon or every kind of worship service, the television, all that kind of stuff. The gospel has never had so many inroads as it has right now. Never before in the history of the United States has the gospel made such inroads while at the same time making so little difference in how people actually live. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ is talking to us about the fact that how we live actually matters. How we feel actually matters. How we think actually matters. And the case is being made here that the Christian should think, feel, and act differently than the rest of the world. See, the world we live in can feel like a hurricane, or maybe I should say the derecho. Impossible winds swirl our emotions. Crashing waves pummel our spirit. And the rain of bad news seems to pour down on us like torrents. And the water of our life is rising, rising, rising. The Christian is convinced in the midst of a very messy and broken world. We're convinced that if we let Christ, if we let Christ be the master of our hearts, if we let Christ influence how we spend the time of our lives, we can make the world during our lifetimes better, healthier, more joy-filled, happier for everyone. This is what Christians are supposed to be about. This is how we're supposed to spend the times of our lives. Now, specifically, you couldn't come to church today without dealing with what we're dealing with Right now, specifically right now, I want to address the reality that's put directly in front of each one of us 
in the American political milieu and the opportunity to use it in the time of our lives. I'm not going to give you a voter guide since 40% of us have already voted anyway, and we should have been praying about that and thinking about that up until this time. And here are some simplistic truths. God has given every single one of us minds to think, and in that we do not always think the same things. We often see different paths from left to right, center to middle, as to what the best ends for our country is. In the United States, the decision-making embodies itself in the process of free elections. And I will say this, that I don't believe that any adult alive today has seen a messier, more disruptive, and at times more vile election season than we're in right now. It has been hard on all of us. Amen? Do you know, if you read the news today, that they've spent 750000 on every one of you trying to decide who our next senator is going to be? Can you imagine that? 750000 on every single Iowan. We have to think what the Lord thinks about that, right? We have to be cautious here. Because Tuesday, or at least sometime soon, <laughs> we're going to know the results, Right? And given what we've been seeing, those results are going to cause some anguish. They just are. To, to a point, that's the process. I've been voting for 40 years. And I kind of looked backwards, best I could see. And about half the time, my guy or gal gets elected. So that would mean probably about the same for most of you. About half the time. That about half the time our person gets elected. So knowing that, and that we actually care about these things, we really have to look past Tuesday to where we're going to be as Christians on Wednesday. Because shortly, post-election, every Christian has a responsibility And as your pastoral leader, I admonish you to fulfill it. The scripture says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Even if our person or people do not prevail, we're to work as energetically after the election as we have been up to the election. But our energy needs to be spent for Christ to heal the world. It came to me this week as I, as I thought, what words must I say to Marian Methodists, to our congregation that assembles here, that we need to hear about all this, about this part of the times of our lives? <clears throat> we, we need to use the time of our lives to step into this. I, I quick searched our database. You know, 2,580 souls children up through adults, call Marian Methodist their place, their spiritual family, which means to me, simplistically, we have 2,580 agents for the peace of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, the joy of Jesus Christ, and the healing of Jesus Christ to be sprinkled across our city. That's our responsibility and opportunity. We need to distinguish ourselves as such, as peace givers, joy givers, love bringers, peace bringers. 
We're going to do something. Why don't we do the good thing for Christ? I guarantee you this, not all of us are going to be happy on Wednesday morning, but we all still will have life on Wednesday morning to get up about the business of Christ as the times of our lives continues on. George E. Lamore Jr. is one of my mentors. He wrote this, you're going to spend your life on something. Give serious thought and then serious effort to what that will be. I can preach things like this because we have free will, all of us, every single one of us. We have free will to do as we wish. Now, our free will can be wasted. We can spend it all on YouTube or on TikTok or whatever it is, which gives us time to confess more. Or our free will can be used to advance the kingdom of God close to you, family, neighborhood, far from you, community, world. Our free will or the utilization of our free will is decision-based. We have the choice and we need to know the time of our lives has eternal implications. It certainly did for the rich man and Lazarus. They both ended up in the spot of their own choosing. The rich man chose the place where those who are self-possessed go. Lazarus chose to depend on others, which is the place that those who depend on Christ go. You know, Jesus has this very interesting interchange. The only theological examination really given in the New Testament is in Matthew 25. Uh, you can look at it. But in the midst of that, Jesus is blessing those who loved him and served him. And, and he, they said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, when I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was naked, you gave me some clothes to wear. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. But, and they said to him, well, when did we do that? When did we see you hungry, thirsty, naked uh, in prison? He said, whenever you did it to one of the least of my children, when you fed a poor person, when you allowed someone that was thirsty to have something to drink, when you visited those in prison, you did it to me. This is the message of Christ. But there were those also who were there, and he says, away from you. I, I cast you out. As a matter of fact, what he says then, he says, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devils and his angels. And they said, well, why do we have to go there? He says, because when you saw me hungry, when you saw me thirsty, when you saw me uh, in prison, when you saw me with no clothes, you gave me none of the things I needed. But we didn't. He says, well, every time you saw one of the least of these, you know, like the guy with Lazarus walked, or the rich man walked by every single day. Whenever you didn't, you did. And so away from me. So because the time of your life has eternal implications, use it to develop Christ-like convictions. I want you to hear this. This is the tweetable line coming at you right now. It's not going to be on the screen. The minority of North Americans think like Christ. The minority of North Americans think like Christ. All of heaven does. All of heaven thinks like Christ, but the minority of our country does. So when we are looking at how, what are our convictions are supposed to be set like, we're to seek the mindset of Christ in every minute of all the time of your life. 
Because the time of our life has eternal implications, we're to use it to develop Christ-like character. In a broken world, we're to cling to the peace of Christ. We're to let it rule in us, which is to say to let it be dominant in our spirit. Let the character of Christ be your character. You'll have more to profess than you will to confess. And because the time of our life has eternal implications, use it to develop Christ-like conduct. John Wesley, who are seventh graders, by the way, who I've sent all out to different churches today. They know all about John Wesley, though. And they can probably even tell you some of what I'm going to say right now. John Wesley just just mentored his leaders to develop Christ-like conduct. And he said, every Methodist must have a holy life, holy temper, holy action. We are doers of the word. Listen to that. We're to have holy lives, holy tempers, holy action, because we are doers like the word. We're supposed to live like somebody rose from the dead for us. That's when the Baptist would say amen. We're supposed to live like someone rose from the dead for us. Amen. Proverbs 19 says this. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Our personal apocalypse is coming. The end of everything I see, the end of everything I know right now, shall come to an end. God has promised that. The entire story of humanity has guaranteed that. The clock of my life, the clock of your life is tick, tick, ticking. It's your turn. It's your time. And it has eternal implications. Tick.